Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church podcast and the letter F. And you. <laughs> if you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney. My brother John Turney and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as, a, as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says, Peace. Big news, friends. The podcast is heading back to Theology Beer Camp hosted by Trip Fuller. Now, Noah and I went last year, and it was an amazing time. We met so many of you, and we're doing it again this year in October. You'll get to hang out with podcasts like ours. You have permission with Dan Koch, The Bible for Normal People with Pete Enns and Jared Bias, and so many more. And there are amazing scholars like Adam Clark, Thomas J. Ord, and John Dominic Crossan with more speakers and podcasts to be announced. The sooner you get tickets, the cheaper they are. In fact, if you use promo code TNEGODPOD, you'll get $25 off your ticket. Let me tell you something. If you are looking for better ways forward in the Christian tradition, this is the event to come to. Yes, you get to hear from some amazing speakers and hear some amazing lectures, but the secret sauce in beer camp is that you get to hang out with these folks and listen to them in conversation. Plus, you get to hang out with Noah and I for a few days and have a great time. Use promo code T-N-E God Pod for $25 off your ticket and I'll see you in Missouri in October with me and Noah, Trip Fuller, all the great scholars, all the great podcasts. I'll see you then. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Oh man, this will be a fun episode. Uh, it's <laughs> Noah. It's been a long time, dude. Dude, I was thinking about it tonight, like how long it's been since we podcasted together. And honestly, I think it was like January. Oh my so gosh. Time is, time is flying right now. I don't know what's happening, but it's it's good to be here. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So it's good to have you back on the podcast, Noah. I mean, you are the podcast producer, so you're behind the scenes every week with me getting episodes out. And for a while, you and I were... We were probably podcasting together at least once every other week at a minimum. Just about, and then, yeah. And then you had to become an adult and get like a real job. <laughs> <laughs> so lame, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm on like a, a boring nine to five schedule, like all the people I didn't want to be growing up. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It's, it's good for me. It's fun. I'm loving it. So No, I'm glad yeah. to hear it, dude. It's crazy too because, um, you know, my schedule is so different now. Like I try and reserve night times just to kind of rest but honestly like it's been so long since we've talked and i feel like people really enjoyed 
our conversations because they're so it's just so different right dude like it's so much more casual um it's so much more chill it's not like i'm interviewing a guest it's like you and i are co-hosting around a conversation so i'm glad to do this again and hopefully we can find ways to do them a little bit more often um even if it's a little bit later on at night because i don't know i i I miss this part of the podcast conversation personally for sure. Yeah. It's it's nice to be able to decompress and just kind of talk through things out loud together. Yes. And think thoughts and get feedback from friends in the community. And yes. it's uh yeah, I'm I'm excited to be doing this. Well, again. I also want to apologize, friends, if my voice sounds a little hoarse. I have been I've had like some kind of throat thing going on going on for now close to a week and I have this tickle in my throat I just can't get rid of. So uh, if I sound a little hoarse, it's from all my coughing. So I apologize. And it's also later on at night when my voice is kind of fatigued. But that being said, I did want to start off. No, I, I I had a funny story that that you as a musician are going to understand and get. Okay. Uh, and if you're out there in the audience and you're a musician, you will you will be able to resonate with me. So I was playing a gig uh, last week. I was playing at this venue in North Jersey, and the way that it works for you out there who who are not musicians, um, the common thing to do when you play live is you put headphones in, and these headphones give you um the ability to hear yourself and to hear the other band members. And we also use a metronome live so that there, there's a click track in my ears and we, and we use loops. So these using in-ears, they're called in-ear monitors, IEMs. They're very important. They're essential to have when you're playing, especially as the drummer, because you have to keep the band in time. So sometimes, you know, my, my if if the singer or the bass player are having some kind of problem with like their in ears or their or their their connection goes out, they can just follow me because I'm tied to that click. So I, I preface it with all of this. So I I I get to my gig. Um, our setup is really late because there was a band before us. So we pretty much finished setting up five minutes before we have to start playing an hour long set. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it, it was a that's rough. A, frankly, it was a shit show. Uh, yeah. But it is what it is, right? So we're all set up. I put my ears in and I hit play because we're just going and I'm hearing static. I'm hearing static. I'm hearing crackling in my right ear and I'm like, uh Oh, and I'm thinking to my, myself, did my in ears, like did my right in ear just go now? I use what's called molds. So that means that I have had these, these in ear monitors custom tailored to fit my ear that way they, they they also cut out all the outside sound so it protects my hearing so they're pretty reliable so i'm like i don't think it's the actual like uh earpiece my cable went and by the third oh, song no. i had no right side just gone no. gone and i'm like that's horrifying oh especially as the drummer because we're on right. click and loop so many of our songs need the loops because we're only a three-piece or a four-piece so yeah. I luckily my left was fine. So for the whole night, I played with just my left in ear working with a metronome and pretty I pretty much took out everything except for the click, some bass and like the lead vocal and just wow. had to suffer with that for a whole a whole oh two gosh. and a half hour long set. That's horrifying. <laughs> That's right? like my worst nightmare because my band plays to, to tracks too. And it's it's how we all stay in sync with each other because we have, again, same thing. We're small band, but we have a lot of layers and had has the drummer that's got to be that's got to well, be something dude, else. and imagine gotta, imagine like you've already started the song and you're just finding out the right. problem now well that's the kind of thing you want to figure out before sound check but if you don't have time if you're like rushing up there exactly wow that's exactly. sort of like that video that went around for a while where it was like polyphia it was one of these metal bands yes. where the tracks went out everybody should look up this video even if you're not a musician because yeah. the tech comes out and starts tapping the drummer's leg with a drumstick so he can keep time with the tracks. It's wild. You do whatever you got to do, but I'll tell yeah. you what, I was panicking. And of course, I did not have a backup cable. So so the cable detaches from the in-ears. So uh-huh. I, I bought one the other day. It should be in any day. So wow. and I, I bought two just in case. But yeah, that was... You're- that was my story. You're going to be paranoid like me and start bringing like three sets of videos to every gig just in case. Oh, you're right. No, you're right. I mean, <laughs> I'm that I, person. I've got a whole backpack of like copies of everything. Well, so I do bring extra drum heads because the, the thought of breaking a snare drum head just freaks oh, me out. Yeah. And it's happened once. Uh-huh. So thank God I have one like ready to go. But yeah, I mean, backups, you never think about them until you need them. And then if you don't have one, you kick yourself in the ass for not having that backup, you know? Well, that's just what happens when you build your uh, drum house on shifting sand. <laughs> that that was funnier in my head. That didn't work so well. It's fine. Oh I my god, I'm dying. 
<laughs> oh man. All right. So anyway, I mean, I, I figured that would be a funny story to catch up with you, Noah, and maybe the audience out there that that there are days where things just go completely down the shitter and you're trying to play a live <laughs> set. And you're like, oh my God, I have another hour long, you know, nonstop set to play yeah. before I can even break. And Dude, at one point in the set, I took tape and tried to duct tape the wire to my oh neck my gosh. to have it like hold in place. It didn't wow. work. It didn't work. So <laughs> had that ever happened to you in the church world? Because I know you played the tracks there as well, right? We had, yeah, we definitely played the tracks there. Okay. There was one thing that, yeah, okay. So I have one story about that. So I was doing this multi-church worship thing I was a part of for a while. And we had like our big, I think it was our four-year or five-year celebration. So we, okay. pl- we planned this massive like intro. It was like uh, a video was going to play. The band was going to hop on stage and like play with the video. And then we go like right into the first song. So it's it's a big event. My, my heart is racing. And yeah. I put my ears in and, and we have no ears. None. No. I, we're just all muted. And none of the band has the ears. So Was I'm like the what? monitor guy? I, I I don't know. I'm like, what what do we do? So yeah. I just go for it. And of course it totally <laughs> tanks. Like it totally tanks. And the worship guy stops us in front of everyone. Oh, I feel no. mortified. It turned out, <laughs> um, this is a really technical term, but the Dante connection, that's like a Whoa. networking term yeah, that, yeah. that that essentially connects everything to the board. That connection had a problem. And wow. so it just killed all of our ears. So that that happened to me before. And also one time, our church fog machine set off the fire alarm during our Easter service. What? Did you have to evacuate? Uh, we did not. They were able to like let 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 the sheriff or whoever know. I think because like the sheriff like went to the church, so he was there, so he saw what okay. happened. Yeah. But it was our second service. Again, a big deal, big production. And um, the yeah, the fog machine sent set off the. Uh, the alarm. And I remember seeing these flashes in the back. I'm like, oh, is someone taking pictures? No, it's the fire <laughs> alarm. So that was fun. <laughs> wow. That's wild. Oh, well, man. I'm I'm a master of transitions, Tim, if you didn't know. Oh, are we transitioning? Because I wanted to talk about church. Okay, Do you want to ahead. talk about church? Uh, yeah. I'm, in, I'm in, dude. Okay. Yeah. So you you made a, an Instagram story post story. Yeah, whatever. You you were talking on the stories a few weeks ago about the idea of church and thinking about going back. I mean, for both of us, it's been what I think we both left at a really similar time. It was the same summer. So two years, something like that now. Yeah, my, my last time in church was April of uh, two years ago. So 2021. Okay. And for me, it would have been August of two years ago that I left my job at a church. So I I was really interested in the conversation that you and the community were having over the stories about the idea of like, do I go back? What's next? Feeling like there's something there that I'm missing, but I'm not sure how to pursue that. And uh, I I would love to talk about that. I'm really curious to hear more of your thoughts about where you're at. And uh, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts too, but I'll I'll let you talk first. You want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Um. This is tied to a bigger thought in my head. I you know I've been doing this work now. Let's see. We started. Um. TNE, let's see, December 2020. I was still serving at my church at that time. April of 2021, they gave me the ultimatum to either stay with them and keep volunteering or to stop doing the work that we're doing now. So I left. That was like the last time I was kind of ever part of a church officially. Um, and you know, this like deconstruction thing that I think we're all we've all experienced in some ways. It definitely, like anything in life, has phases, I feel like, you know, and I, I don't think, yeah. I think if, if everyone stayed where they were two years ago, where they are compared to where they are now, I'm not really sure if that's like the point or I'm not even sure if that's what's supposed to happen. Right. And, and, and that's that's broadly speaking, that's just life period. I mean, we, we've said since the beginning, Noah, that life is progression, which would yeah. mean that even our beliefs are always evolving and changing, right? So you have this moment where you're really deconstructing things. You're really seriously rethinking things. And you're also no longer accepting the evangelical answers that you were given. And so you're like kind of free to explore and, and really reinterpret your memories at church through like a different lens, right? Yeah. So when, when when my church gave me the ultimatum, I was I was gutted. I was really heartbroken. I knew I had to leave. I couldn't stay there. This work was too important at the time, and I'm glad because this you know this work has become now my my livelihood uh, and my passion. And pe- I get to meet people like you and, and other folks, right? And get, we get to do this stuff. 
Um, but it, it was painful, right? Like I lost this sense of community and like feeling like I'm, I'm a part of something with people doing quote unquote kingdom work. And I really had no desire to go back to church. And I, and I knew, I think deep down, I always knew maybe one day I would be re- opened up to going back, but I just needed some time. Plus like many in the audience and like, you Noah, I've been in church my whole life faithfully yeah. serving, right? Like I am mm-hmm. one of those always there people. So I just took some, I took some time off and kind of went through like my own theological renewal maybe. And I'm, listen, I'm not, I have not arrived. I'm still in progress myself, but I feel like I have a better grasp of, of some newer beliefs now than maybe when I did a year or two ago. And, you know, to be honest, I, I love doing this work, but I also believe like, I also believe in being in proximity to people. And yeah. frankly, this work is isolating at times. It can just feel lonely. Like I'm in my mm. my office all day by myself, right? Talking to people through the internet, which is better than nothing. I mean, I will take it. But no, you and I know, like when, when you and I traveled to beer camp, theology beer camp last year, right? Like we yep. became closer friends. And then when when, when we Absolutely. road trip down to Nashville with Mike, we became friends. Like there's something about proximity. And so I think there's that part that I miss. Like I just kind of miss people in proximity to me. And I also, if I'm being really honest with you, I don't I don't have a solution for this. When I visited North Point, that's Andy Stanley's church, um, I saw the band play. I was like, shit, I miss this. I'm not sure if I can ever go back and do it. I'm not sure if I ever will yeah. go back and do it. But I, I, I miss it. I miss being there early. I miss playing with the band. I, I miss the worship music. I play in a cover band now. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But I still miss like those uh, those other arrangements, the big builds. Like they're just it's different. So I don't know. I've been thinking like I I just think I'm I'm open more than ever to try to to try and find a community of people that we could call a church that I could maybe get a little more involved with. Obviously, I have different I have different requirements. I have different things that I can't uh, capitulate on or compromise on. But I'm just kind of in that spot where I'm like, if I can make it work, I'm kind of open to exploring this again. I'm I'm kind of open to hearing maybe a, a teaching or even singing some songs. But more importantly, I'm looking to meet up with some people and just have some people in my life that are kind of like-minded that I can share this part of my life with. That's kind of where I'm at right now, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally get that. I mean, I'm kind of in a similar place, funnily enough. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about this because, you know, when I was coming out of the the job at the evangelical church that I was working at, I had a lot of feelings of resentment, a lot of, uh, hesitancy of the idea of church at all anymore. I was at a point where I was very committed to following Jesus, but the the way that that had presented itself in my life through church um, and, and Sunday morning services and volunteering, I mean, I was volunteering since the age of, I don't know, 11. Like I was the kid that didn't want to just sit there in Sunday school. I would rather be, you know, co-teaching the, the class one younger than me. Like I was, yeah. I wanted to participate. I was all in. I was in early every morning, you know, multiple churches, youth groups, worship teams, the whole deal. And I think that in a lot of ways, I was just burned out too, because I've been doing this thing for so long without any sense of rest. And combined with those feelings of resentment and betrayal coming out of that community and feeling like there wasn't space for some of my questions and some of my own changing beliefs and and convictions about what it meant to follow Jesus. And the, the beer camp was huge for me because that was one of the very few times that I stepped into a church building in years. Um, other than a few, I, I honestly, pretty negative experiences when I had tried to to force myself back in a time when I honestly wasn't ready for it. And it gave me this sense of possibility that there's something there that maybe I hadn't considered. And I think it was helpful that the, the format of that church, and we didn't go to a, a traditional service there. We were just in the building, but even that was really significant for me at the time. And it was a very different sort of church. It's a, a Lutheran church that so was much more liturgical. Yeah. There was no stage for a worship band. And and even, you know, as, as someone that grew up in music and, and was formed through, through worship music and, and Christian music culture, uh, that turned me into the musician I am today. And it's such a huge part of my life, but working in, in music, production in church i even had a lot of hesitancy about that idea of there's nostalgia for me like you said there's this idea of like this was so much fun and it was so meaningful to do that with this community of people but i have a lot of hesitancy of the way that i felt like that music was affecting people in a way that i wasn't quite sure if i liked what i was participating in and 
so so many mixed feelings. I'm kind of getting off track here, but that that experience at beer camp really challenged my categories of maybe there's something here. And I've been really thankful to find local community with with close friends of mine actually I grew up with who are also going through this same process of questioning and and we have a lot of shared things in common. I've I've made a lot of friends in my local community over this this deconstruction journey. Um uh, but I'm I'm finding myself in a little bit of a different position than they are where i think that i'm i'm really happy um to see them doing so well in in a uh, a space that is entirely separate from the religious tr- tradition that they grew up in but it's not really the place that i'm in mm. and so there's this interesting balance of i've i've found this community and in a lot of ways i've experienced a more fulfilling version of church now talking to my atheist friends on an every other day basis than i i feel like i really got when i was in those spaces but at the same time there's this draw for me of of finding that local community that shares my uh fascination with and, and desire to, to follow after jesus and I think I'm in this place right now where I'm just hopeful. I think that it's possible. And I have a lot of, has my own ideas of the Bible and, and what Jesus's good news actually was have changed. You know, my, my idea of what I would want to look for in a church has really radically changed. And I've got yeah. a lot of clarifications of, of things I wouldn't be comfortable with sitting in again. But, but I think there's potential there. And that's, that's kind of an exciting, but also confusing place to be in. Let me ask you this. I, I'm kind of curious yeah. to get your thoughts on this. What what kind of church would you want to go back to? Like, like if we're going to be consumers for a minute and build your yeah. own church, I mean, like, <laughs> what kind of church are you looking to be involved with style-wise? Ooh, I don't know. That's a tough question because my most positive experiences with churches uh, in the past few years have been heavily liturgical. And I think that I have something, as I've just kind of grown to, to learn and, and, you know, sit better with parts of myself and the way that my own brain works and responds to stimulus. I'm a very not neurotypical person. I realized that the evangelical structure of church uh, with the, the lights, the entertainment, the loud noises, these kind of things really make it much more difficult for me to have a meaningful um, experience of contemplation in those spaces. Mm. Um, and I've had, I've had experiences where I've, you know, I've attended a few Catholic masses and other liturgical services where I just end up crying <laughs> in the middle of the surface because it's the most spiritually fulfilling and meaningful thing I think I've encountered in a while because it, it creates the kind of pause and, and structure and the, the repetition of the liturgy, things that I was very adverse to growing up that I've realized are very helpful to me in this moment. And, and actually, um, in a lot of ways, I feel much closer to God in those types of spaces and those those forms of worship but at the same time i have this this evangelical heritage that i've um had a lot of meaningful memories in too like i i love playing in a worship band i miss that and i in the same way like i feel like i would sort of want to go back to that but then there's hesitancy you know i have mixed feelings about some of the again the the ways that that music influenced people uh, and i'm not always sure that that was a positive thing yeah um and so there's some tension there and I think I'm open to exploring a lot of different options, but it's it's definitely difficult. And I know that you've mentioned this, and other friends of mine have mentioned this. That typically the the churches that would be more receptive to the questions that I'm asking and, and the deconstruction journey tend to not have those evangelical service elements. Um, they tend to be the much more liturgical churches. And so I, I'm open to that. But you know, even for a lot of friends of mine that are considering going back to church. These are more people I, I talk to on the internet. Um, <laughs> that's, that's difficult to, to find something that also fits um, the style of worship that they still find very meaningful. Yeah. I mean, selfishly, I, I, I'll put it this way. My brain's formed already <laughs> and it's been yeah. wired to like, <laughs> you know, modern evangelical CCM music. And like, I'm just used to that. Right. Yeah. And so I've been in liturgical spaces and I, I don't think they're wrong or like unhelpful. In fact, they're beautiful in their own way. And there's something almost magical about being connected to words that people are saying at the same time as you around the world. Um, yeah. And also that are ancient and, and, and that are rooted in not just like 10 years, but thousands of years in some cases, you know, like church tradition. I think that's really beautiful. Um, also, uh, the modern evangelical church formed me 
right? And I'm I'm much more comfortable with like that style of service. But like you said, Noah, most of those churches that I know of are not affirming. They are pretty much fundamentalism in disguise, right? Yeah. And I mean, there are like, so there is the post-evangelical collective that's kind of coming up, which is uh, Zach Lambert and some other folks kind of doing this almost like denomination style, uh, but it's centered, centered around like four or five core values that are very progressive leaning. Um, but they're also more like modern in church form. So they don't look so liturgical or so mainline. I'm like, Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Like I'm interested in seeing what that looks like, you know, yeah. but also at the same time is mega church, even like a healthy biblical idea. I mean, right. and, and, I, and I don't use the term biblical, sorry, friends to trigger you. I don't mean that in the sense <laughs> of like, you know, the fundamentalists, I just mean it like, if we're going to try and be ethical about, about the structures that we form again, even if a church was, you know, inclusive and more progressive in their theology, is the form of like that mega church or just like that event centered thing that revolves around a pastor preaching and like modern worship, is it healthy even if the theology behind it is healthier? I don't have an answer to that question. I'm just telling you how I think about it, right? Like if we're going to really critique capitalism, is it weird to then be using capitalist structures uh, to have millions of dollars of equipment on a stage for a full production so you can sing Hillsong tunes? Because Hillsong, as we all know, is so problematic. I would feel weird now singing their songs at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I'm not even sure if that's just me projecting my own comfort on this church idea so I can feel more appeased when in reality the whole thing is just so hollow that even with a slightly different theology or a more progressive take, it's still not beneficial. Yeah, and, and I think that there's definitely a gray area in between there too. You know, I, I tend to be the type of person that's that jumps to a, a black and white category there. And I think when it comes to I don't think there's any form of musical expression that's wrong. You know, it's not that the it's not that a, a full band, you know, playing this the, this style of music. There's anything wrong with that, or anything natu- uh anything spiritually unhealthy about that. I think it can be really beautiful, and I've experienced that as really fulfilling and beautiful in my own life. Um, but those those structures and the context, I think the way that they're presented in the flow of a service can be spiritually harmful, depending on on how that's approached. And my experience of a lot of those spaces, and and this is probably sort of the fear that I'm I'm speaking out of when I have hesitancy to go back to that, is that there tends to be this, we, we see the success of success in the sense of, oh, more people are coming, more people are right. donating because the music's good. And then all of your good intentions sort of become measured by this new standard of how many people can we get in the door rather than how are we encouraging people to be fully formed and, and spiritually healthy individuals and and keeping that, that musical expression within that framework. And so I think that that's my, that's my own personal tension that I, I struggle with when I go into those spaces now, um, because I, I have this inherent concern that that's happening behind the scenes, even if right. I don't know about it. Today, we discuss Miro. Listen, when it comes to running client workshops, the dream, of course, is to get those creative juices flowing, right? But typically what ends up happening is thousands of hours get wasted because of poorly facilitated meetings. So I have Maya with me today. She's a consultant who runs Fortune 100 workshops from leadership training to team building, and she has the insider tip on what makes things work. Maya? Thank you, Jason. I've been doing this a long time. My number one tip is to bring everyone into that visual collaboration platform. So personally, I use Miro and it's completely changed how I interact with the room. You have to give people a way to feel like they're in the room even when they're not. That's something you can do easily in Miro. Otherwise, they've seen the same slides and format thousand times. Falling asleep, eyes glazing over, yawns, all that. Exactly. When people follow me on the Miro board, everyone is literally going on a journey with me. We're adding thoughts, we're reacting, and we're voting for the best ideas. It's great. Connective magic. I like it. That's M-I-R-O.com. Well, here's another question for you. I mean, what's the purpose of a church if it's not to save souls from hell? Oh, well, um, you, the, probably the descent into liberal Marxism, I guess. That's it. Yes. No, yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. Great, great Glad point. we cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, also, why would I be going? And like, what what would the outpouring of that church be? Because again, what, what's right. our context, right? 
you know, no one without Jesus. We must save souls for Jesus. They don't burn in hell forever. Well, if that is not the driving force anymore of like, okay, if, if I don't proselytize to you, you're going to burn in hell forever. What is the mission of that church? Like what, what is, what does it mean to evangelize or what does it mean to have good news? What does it mean to, um, you know, even convert people? Is that even a healthy way of talking about that? Right. Is it about conversion? Is right. that a bad thing? I mean, I, I don't know, right? Like, and there's all kinds of tensions there for me as well. I think it's interesting because growing up, I I grew up in a, a community that was very biased against particularly the liturgical church spaces, uh, more based on denomination than anything else. Um, that they there was this negativity around them because they weren't evangelizing the right way. Sort of like what you said, like the they they weren't doing enough to get people to pray a prayer. They were more focused about the the people within their community than they were about getting everybody else in the doors of the church. Yeah. And that was presented as a really negative thing to me. And I'm, I'm not sure anymore that I see it that way. And, and I'm not trying to draw a, a, a broad black and white between two different approaches because I think there's a lot of gray and nuance in between. But prioritizing the, the health of that community as, as you know, fully formed, embodied people seems more important to me than a success marker of, oh, look how many people are in the doors. And I think that some of that does come down to the, the kind of gospel that that church is preaching and, and what it's prioritizing there. Because if it's prioritizing, like you said, the, the saving of souls, like how many, how many people can we get to, to sign the piece of paper or get right. baptized or, or join the church membership or whatever that success marker is that's very um, numerically driven. If that's not the success marker and, and something else is, you know, what is that? And right. for me, when, when I think about that, what, what I would want to look for in a church I don't know. I'm going to try not to take this into a, a, a total theological rabbit hole, but I really feel like I got half of the gospel growing up. And, and I don't say that as someone that went to a lot of churches that didn't take serious theology and study seriously. I mean, like I was, how I was homeschooled and I read R.C. Sproul books as like my, my curriculum, you know, yeah, and I yeah. read Martin Luther for fun on the side. So yeah. it has nothing to do with, with, uh, not having, uh, spent enough time in the Bible or anything like that. But the way that the entire, the, the way that following Jesus was presented to me had so much more to do with this, the set of beliefs that I had to subscribe to. And it was this personal relationship with Jesus was the phrase. I think we'd lost the corporate element of, of Jesus's good news. And, and when I go back and I read the gospels now, I see the, the most explicit description where Jesus actually says what his gospel good news is. It's, it's, freedom of the oppressed and the year of jubilee and and sight to the blind and and help for the poor and it's this incredibly communal idea of of organizing around this this kingdom of god you know that's that's the other phrase when you read the anywhere in the gospels when jesus is preaching the the gospel it's the gospel of the kingdom right mm. and it's this idea of of participation in a community that's bringing heaven to earth with the way that we combat oppression and we and we uplift the marginalized and I think that that whole aspect of the gospel was kind of pushed aside. Um, and, and it was the very Jewish aspects of the gospel, honestly, because that's the heartbeat of the whole uh, Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament is how we're caring for people in this life. And that's a, a reflection of our own relationship with God as, a, as individuals, but also as a community. And I think that a lot of that was stripped away for this sort of John 3.16 faith and uh, uh, an interpretation of that, I guess, where it was all just believing the right things so you don't perish. And that meant, you know, believing that Jesus rose from the dead, died for your sins, and now you'll go to heaven when you die. And morality is sort of just that thing you do because you owe God a favor because he did you a solid. You know, it, it wasn't so much about how do we actually prioritize caring for the least of these in our community mm. for the sake of, for life for life's sake, you know, yeah. flourishing just for the beauty of it um, as participation in, in heaven coming to earth rather than it's you know it's all going to burn anyway so we, we kind of had this negative impression of how we prioritized caring for people yeah i mean way. i gotta be honest i tend to agree like more and more i'm convinced i'm like mm, you know uh this whole like over spiritualization of a very physical gospel yeah. Right of, of a very physical way of being of, of embodying. I mean, Jesus is God incarnate. That's what Christians believe. Like it is deity, 
you know, that he was fully God, fully man. That's like the classic Christian belief. That's a very physical thing, right? It wasn't that like Jesus was like all physically a human and spiritually God. We believe it was like, it was incarnate. And I do think too, like more and more, especially as as I'm reading like evangelical history, there, and there's a lot, a lot of threads to that we could unpack. I won't for sake of time, but it's just very evident to me that at least this this idea of believe now so you don't burn forever later on is like a really hyperinflated view of definitely I think some theology that you could trace back for a long time, but it's like it, 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 it's at the expense of meeting the physical needs of people, right? Or like you said, fighting for liberation or whatever it would be. And I just feel like it's kind of such a cop-out, I think, for people because yeah. it's like, oh, well, we, even though we can't prove it and we really don't know, uh, we're, we're saving you in the long term. So <laughs> maybe your life is shitty now, but don't worry, one day you're right. going to float on the clouds. And it's like, that's a really, first off, arrogant thing to assume that you definitely know, you know, objectively speaking, is what's going to happen to you. Uh, yeah. Contingent upon you praying a prayer that, by the way, has really been invented over the past like couple hundred years or so in, right. in in the modern Western European context, this idea that you just ask Jesus into your heart to forgive you, to forgive you of your sins, a personal relationship with Jesus. That's not like an ancient way of thinking about the Christian no. tradition. I'm sorry. It's just not. So not only that, but it's new. And then that's the excuse for, well, it's, you know, the poor rose and have among us. Like they take that one freaking verse right <laughs> out of their, out of its context as justification yeah. for, well, we can't do anything about it anyway, so might as well just get those those poor people to, to 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 have their souls saved from the depths of hell. And I just think the more I'm reading, the more I'm listening, the more I'm understanding, a the heartbeat of like the the New Testament letters, let alone the Jewish tradition, uh, and also the breadth of the Christian tradition in you know in its complexity, and also um, the plight of people in our day today who are marginalized. I'm like, you know, I think the focus is much more about about being in solidarity with those people and fighting for their liberation. I mean, God in the Exodus story, one of the like the key central story of the of the Torah that that the Jewish people still reference and think about today and that the black tradition used to keep their spirits up when they were enslaved by white people, right? Is is the Exodus story uh, when the Jewish people are liberated from their oppressor and God drowns Pharaoh, drowns him. That's kind of violent for me personally, I'm just saying. <laughs> but like God took us, God took a side. Yeah. Right? God takes sides, at least in the in the scripture. God judges Israel for neglecting their poor and for oppressing their poor and not welcoming the foreigner. These are themes that are all throughout scripture. So there's there's obviously even in the scripture a very clear thread of how we treat people matters how we fight for equity matters these are not marxist terms right they're not quote unquote wokeism terms or woke terms <laughs> like they go back to ancient you know <laughs> biblical ideas and also might I add the idea of oppressing people is not new either Right, like there's all kinds of ways that humanity has figured out to keep some people under the thumb of others, and so I agree with you, Noah. And you know, kind of bring it back full circle. I think for me, I would need a church that their theology was guided by that. You know, that like, yeah. hey, we have the choice every day to bring heaven on earth or hell on earth as humans who are embodying the divine, who are reflecting the imago day. Right, we have a choice to be part of that kingdom or be part of the cycle of chaos. It's important that we partner with the way of the kingdom as much as possible in our local area, our community, our church, our individual lives, our neighborhoods, et cetera. That to me has got to be like the heartbeat of what drives us out of our love for Christ. Not this idea that, oh, if we can just get that poor person who can't pay their mortgage because of the you know, capitalist industrial complex that has essentially moot, uh, you know, exploited their labor uh, for their gain, uh, if we could just get that person to not go to hell, we really done it, <laughs> right? You know, well, and, and I'm I'm hearing like the objection of maybe like former me who is you know actively involved in the church thing, but we do so many 
there, there were so many good things we were doing in the community. And I think that that's true. And I, I do want to acknowledge that for my tradition, that several of the churches I was involved with did do a good job of trying to care for the people in the local community. But there was always this, I, I don't think our motives were the best, to be honest with you, because the emphasis on on caring for them really ultimately had less to do with their well-being in this life than it did about creating a, a positive impression on them that might bring them into the into the doors of the church. And so I, I think that the motivation for that was was just completely backwards. Well, also it's an individualistic approach to a uh, to a corporate problem. Yes, yeah. right. Like evangelicals have no problem being corporate when it comes to abortion, for example. Right? Sure. They fought like hell to have the Supreme Court literally overturn a Supreme Court decision. Right? There's not that same kind of fervor to eradicate poverty by those right. same people. And what they'll do is they deflect to, oh, well, we have a food pantry. That's mm-hmm. not cutting it. Like, look at the yeah. numbers. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting either stagnant or poorer, especially when, when you account for inflation. Debt is through the roof. Medical debt is huge. And you think that a food pantry is really is really making a dent in the problem. Yeah. You know, the, the dam is broken and you're putting a finger in one of the holes. It's like, dude. Like you need a, it's a, it's a systemic reform. Yeah. And why aren't Christians that fired up about those things? Like how they are about gay marriage, for example, right? Sure. And that's kind of my point to that. Well, and, and there's this weird kind of, I was taught to be afraid of looking for solutions in systems entirely. That was a negative thing. And I, I see that now when I read, you know, the work of Christian Jume and other historians that this is a part of our evangelical tradition, weaponizing politics, um, it, really in our ways that I think are contrary to the way of Jesus, but yeah. that, that's a long tangent for another day. But the whole Old Testament story is is rooted in a people as a collective organizing their systems around forms of justice to build a better world here and now. And no, I don't think that we should use the Old Testament as the authority on how we build our systems today. But the idea that that is somehow unbiblical or that there's something wrong with saying, hey, maybe there's something systemically here that needs to change, is just very anti-Jewish, frankly. It's, it, it goes against this whole tradition that formed us in so many different ways. Yeah. I, I, I'm a, did you have anything else you wanted to add to that? I don't, I don't no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop ranting. Oh, <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I think that, and that's something that would be important to me in a church that I look for, embodying that message of, of, embodied life to the fullest and liberation for those that can't experience that, that we're fighting that they do. And that has a, that has a social and a political dimension, you know? And, and I think that we were afraid of that in a lot of the evangelical tradition. Well, I'm not sure if they they were afraid more than they, they wanted to use it for their own political gain and purpose. Mm. You know, like evangelicals have not had a problem being political since like the late seventies, early eighties. Right. But like, what, what are they advocating for? I mean, we, we've covered this extensively, but Trump is maybe the easiest, easiest, easiest example of a group of people betraying their own ethics, morals, values, everything for the sake of, oh, well, this guy will give us political power and make the country, quote unquote, Christian again, which is, you know, code for white and conservative and evangelical again. Right. And so I, I to me, it's like it's not so much about you know, that they're afraid to, it's just how they, how, what they advocate for to me increasingly seems to be more and more antichrist in nature. Um, even the abortion conversation, you know, like they, uh, and I'm speaking broadly, but the policies that, that pro-life groups advocate for very rarely is access to contraception, which yeah. would, which would greatly reduce um, unplanned pregnancies, like greatly, or, Hey, if we could have fair wages for mothers, and if, if there was affordable childcare in this country for single moms, maybe that would lower rates. No, no, no. It's not yeah. that. It's just we're going to outlaw <laughs> the, abortion and deal with it. The things that we actually have statistical evidence to say, hey, this actually makes a positive difference. Exactly. The, the, the proclaimed goals of the movement. And by the way, like 90% of all abortions happen like b- before 12 weeks. Okay. Like it's like 1% happened in the third trimester. They're incredibly rare. And by the yeah. way, I'm all for, especially in the third trimester, you know, like, yeah. I don't think someone could just walk into a hospital at like week 40 and say, Hey, I'm bored. Let's just, let's just go ahead and abort. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying it has to be completely unregulated, but the, my point is that there are so many proven ways to minimize 
unplanned pregnancies that could lead to abortions that still keep abortion on the table for those who might actually need it. And instead, the evangelical response is, well, God says, according to us, that sex, that sex outside of marriage is wrong, so we can't support immorality. So we're not going to support easier access to contraceptives. People just need to be more abstinent. It's like, dude, like you can't have your cake and eat it too. We live in a pluralistic yeah. society with 300 million people inside of it. And for you to stop other people from gaining access to affordable contraceptions that would actually reduce the amount of abortions that you claim you know, is a modern day Holocaust, which is a terrible talking point. It just, to me, shows that you're not that pragmatic. It's not really, maybe it's not really about what you claim it is. So anyway, I'll stop ranting now. No, I love it. It's that, <laughs> it's that connection to power again, that, that the solutions are looked for by, um, you know, legislating morality through, through the power of empire, frankly. Now, and, do you think, it, oh God, I'll get you off. No, I, I was just going to say that I, I find it so antithetical to the the way of Jesus to to seek for answers in in power over people through violence. I mean, that's the Pax Romana. That's literally the logic yeah. of Rome. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I think, and I think what some some people might say is, well, you're just you just want power so you can enact your will. You know, sure. And yeah. I think that the reality is, power is a thing. Power is a tool. And we have to be careful, right? When we advocate for things politically, right? We have to make yeah. sure that, okay, what are we actually advocating for? Who benefits from the policies that we're advocating for? Universal healthcare benefits a lot of people, not just white conservative evangelicals, right? A livable wage benefits a lot of people, not just white conservative evangelicals. So I yeah. think too, like it's, it's not always about, well, power is necessarily bad. I mean, governments exist, governments have power. Uh, sure. And we want governments to do good. It's how we're using that power and 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 who is benefiting from that power that I think makes a huge difference. And I know we're somehow we we got here, but Christian nationalism, <laughs> broadly speaking, mainly advocates for power for itself at the expense of its neighbors. You know, yeah. I think the kind of Jesus power that we see embodied through Jesus is that Jesus had all the power in the world and gave it away. Right. Right. Like he let the empire take him and he defeats the 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 power of the cross by making it a spectacle right and then by conquering it by rising again so yeah. so there are ways to handle power and there are ways not to handle power and i think that we can look at the gospels and see you know ways to and ways not to yeah and i'm really glad you clarified that too so i because I, I don't want to to uh be misunderstood there either that I, that I think that it's a, a negative thing that we communally orient towards things that are life-giving and help other people. I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's the difference maker is if we determine that those those policies or those ways of orienting as a society actually promote well-being for yeah. all people or not, or just for the people on top that all look and think like us and want the same things as us. I totally agree. Well, listen, as you can hear, my voice is dying quickly. <laughs> Um, I do want to say before we wrap up, we are going back to Theology Beer Camp. Yes. I'm so excited. We're going back. Friends, listen, if you're a new, if you're new, a new listener, Theology Beer Camp is hosted by Trip Fuller. Trip is great. It's an amazing event. It's happening in Missouri on October 19th. If you're a beer person, it's great. If you're not a beer person like me, it's still great because you get to hang out with amazing podcasts, amazing scholars, and really think about these things way more deeply than Noah and I could ever think about them, frankly, Very right? True. I mean, we actually podcasted <laughs> last time at beer camp, you and me, like in, in, the, in our bedroom. And we're yeah. like, my God, my mind is totally blown. <laughs> so I, I mean this, I recommend getting tickets. You can get them at the link in our show notes, but I'm, we're actually helping Trip kind of like plan the event. And he had, he told me that he wants, he wants the event to be, to have people who are maybe exvangelical or deconstructing in mind to help them Think about better paths forward in the Christian tradition. Scholars like Pete Enns, Adam Clark, um, who else is coming that I can announce? Mm, they're, well, there are two of the big ones. There's a few other ones. Mason's coming back. Mason's I saw a couple coming announcement back. Posts. Oh, Dan Coke is um, coming back. Yep. You have permission. So like, it, it, it's really a great time. I'm also working on a few other podcasts that you I can't announce yet because they're not secured. But when I can announce them, you'll be thrilled. I'm just telling you, it's a great time. You'll get to hang out with me and Noah, a bunch of people. You, you know, again, we, we get to be in proximity to each other, right? And hang out. So make yeah. sure you get tickets, you know, links in our bio, et cetera. It's going to be a good time. But I mean, Noah, any final thoughts on, on this conversation before we kind of wrap it up? I'm, I think I'm just, I'm curious to hear 
more from the community of, of your experiences of searching for churches this way. I mean, the, the responses on Instagram were great. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll spend some time after we upload this in the, in the Facebook group, people want to share their experiences there. Yes. Cause I'm, I'm just, I think I'm at a point right now where the, the bitterness has faded a little bit and I'm sort of just hopeful. Yes. And so I, yes. I don't want to say much more than that, but I, I just, I think it's possible there's something out there that's better than what I've experienced. And I'm, I'm trying to be more receptive to that. I don't feel like me. my my bitterness is the loudest voice in my head anymore. Ooh. Does that make sense? I really like that. Like yeah. I'm still pretty angry at like the state of evangelicalism, but even how Absolutely. I think about my anger is different now, right? Like it, it, it motivates me in a different way. And I'm bitterness to me is like it's at times it's still there, but it's it's a little bit quieter. And I'm like, okay, you know, I I, I can't stay here forever at some point. I want to think about, okay, what do we do now? Like, what yeah. do we actually do to build something more beautiful than whatever we had that was back there? And I think, for the record, I think anger and, like, even being pissed off and bitter, it's kind of part of that process for people. Yeah. So if you're there, you know, do what you got to do. There's, I understand it completely. Well, and I would say, too, and and if if you're in a position where that's not an option for you, and you don't think it'll ever be an option for you. By no means are we advocating that you have to go back to those spaces. Either, right. Because right. I have friends that are flourishing more. And I've known them their whole lives and they're happier and healthier than ever. And I would never encourage them to, to step back into that either. A, a very for, key for caveat. Me, for yes. me personally, yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, we are not here to tell yeah. you to start, quote unquote, reconstructing how we're doing yeah. it. Well, you know, As we always say, Noah, transparency and honesty are so key to what we do. So I think it's important for you and I and other folks who are part of the work just to tell people where, where we're at, you know, because yeah. that that honestly, it does shape how TNE like does stuff, right? Like how we're thinking shapes the organization. Obviously, we're never going to, push that people need to go back to church like I, I i totally get why many folks ones i know as well yeah have no interest in going back ever again um i just think for me like it's such a part of who i am I, it's 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 built me frankly and at this point with that voice a little bit quieter and my perspective a little more like okay what do we build now Right. How do yeah. we imagine better ways forward? I think those ideas have kind of gotten to me to a place where I'm like, I'm open to seeing what else is out there in the church world. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. Sweet. Friends, thanks for hanging out. If you have any thoughts on this, shoot us a DM. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. And Noah, it was so good, man. So good catching up. This was great. Hopefully yeah, we, we got to do, do this again. more often again. Yeah, we yeah. do. We'll we make do. it work. All right, folks, good talking to you. Don't forget, link in our show notes to get those tickets to the Algae Beer Camp, and we'll talk to you all soon. Deuces. See you soon. Some people take the straight path in life, but at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, a top 10 university for online bachelor's programs. Tap to learn more or visit us at asuonline.asu.edu.